This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. The old world is dying. The new world struggles to be born. Now is the time of monsters. With those words uh, from Gramsci, I welcome you to the Time of Monsters podcast. And uh, today, um, uh, we usually talk about the old world dying and the monsters, but today I want to talk a little bit about the new world that is struggling to be born, uh, especially in Latin America. Um, with the recent election uh, in Colombia, um, the sort of uh, very welcome um, um, victory of Gustavo Petro, um, we see further evidence that there is a new pink tide uh, in the uh, southern half of the uh, Western Hemisphere. Um, and it's especially impressive that this is in Colombia, you know, like a, a nation that has been kind of the bulwark of the right in um, Latin America, has been, you know, in some ways, one of the chief um, um, arms of um, American foreign policy uh, in terms of disciplining the region. And um, where the left has traditionally for many, many decades, going back to the 1940s, has not been successful. Um, so something is really stirring there. And uh, to talk about this, um, I'm very uh, happy to have uh, on Jeremy um, Edelman, Director of Global History Lab at Princeton, uh, as well as uh, my friend uh, Doug Bell, a Canadian journalist who's been on the podcast uh, before. And uh, Doug and I will be talking to Jeremy about what exactly is happening. And I, I think maybe the best way to um, really get into this is just to get some very basic preliminary things. So people are talking about a new pink tide. Obviously, there was an earlier pink tide. Uh, Jeremy, what, what was the earlier pink tide? Uh, when was it? Uh, what were the countries and figures involved? And what did it try to do? Yeah. Um... It, 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 you're right that this needs to be put into a wider uh, wider context, and though it was dubbed the original Pink Tide uh, as a reaction to um, the disenchantment, if there were any enchantments associated with neoliberalism, privatization, opening markets that really gathered force in the 1980s and 1990s, and and on the whole delivered on the whole uh, pretty meager results. Um, there were a few exceptions. So that, but uh, and the reaction was was to elect uh, left of center, um, semi-populist, and maybe that's a word we should unbundle um, leaders. The, the the perhaps the 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 flag carrier for that turn uh, and of very different kinds uh, was Lula in in Brazil. Um, I think we'll talk about Lula. We should uh, because there's an election coming in Brazil. 
Um, and of course, Hugo Chavez in Venezuela. There were other variations, uh, the Peronists coming back to power after 2001 and so on. Um, but it was a reaction to the, the free market ideology that had reigned pretty supreme through much of the transition of the 80s and 90s. Uh, and so that was the first pink tide. And it wasn't really the, the first pink tide. There, there had been reformist wave from the 40s and early 50s that had been squelched, um, which we can also talk about. So there are these waves of um, reactions to the more traditional kind of consensus. Uh, um, Many of those regimes um, did not fare well. Again, we can talk about why uh, they did not uh, through through the aughts. Um, and we're yeah. now seeing a new wave. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So I, I think I just to get that sort of broad overview. So yeah, yeah. I mean, you did have, you know, obviously Chavez um, uh, and, in, and in Brazil as well. I, I would also mention Argentina as a- right. um, the Kirchner's. Yeah. yeah, yeah, the place that had a, uh, a left um, government. And then there was a kind of reaction. And do we want to say like, you know, um, what, what were the causes of that reaction that um, uh, uh, happened, you know, like uh, in the earlier part of the century? Why was there, why did the pink, the first, the, why did the, that pink tide of the 1990s and early aughts, why did it start to recede? What were the uh, factors? I, I mean, it, it, it varies slightly uh, by country. There are some general patterns, uh, which is that the economic model upon which they'd pin their fortunes. And again, that is something we need to talk a, a lot about because that's going to be the crucible uh, upon which um, uh, the, the new governments in Chile and, and, and Colombia and elsewhere are, are really going to be tested. But um, they... Um, on the whole, they were no better at delivering high growth rates um, than the regimes they replaced. Um, that had been a big problem. Some of them ran into constitutional issues. Um, uh, Lula was imprisoned. In, I mean, his, his successor was impeached and then he himself was imprisoned. Evo Morales ran into political uh, trouble. Um, so in some cases, they, they were ousted through pseudo constitutional means we're now learning a lot more about what happened uh, at the time and in some cases they drifted further left into increasingly authoritarian directions and that's clearly what happened in venezuela and nicaragua and elsewhere uh, so they they their early democratic progressive mobilized but pluralist credentials um um floundered and and in some cases were unseated or in some cases became increasingly authoritarian some stumbled through and that's the case in argentina uh, which we can talk about they're now fiercely divided internally um the peronist party even though they're in power um and, and things are not looking promising uh for them so in some cases they hung on but but um ran out of steam in the cases where they flopped, um, gave way to 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 right wing governments. In the case of uh, you know Bolivia and, and and Brazil and so on, if they did not become author increasingly authoritarian, which was the case in, in Venezuela. Yeah, uh, yeah. Before and so before we turn to like the current wave uh, and where it's happening, just as a broad overview, uh, I, I did want to like hit on that point because it's uh, about um, Brazil. Uh, and, and Bolivia, because it, it does seem that a tactic um, that the right developed was to use sort of constitutional norms 
uh, to trip up these governments, but in yep. a very weaponized way. Uh, and in you know, in the case uh, of Brazil, like I think I think in what is now very clearly a fraudulent way to kind of like yep. trump up cause uh, uh, causes um, uh, to jail uh, uh, Lula. And I, I think that you know uh, we have to bear that in mind because it complicates you know some of the discussion that one has about uh, populism and norms because yeah. it turns out to that that the right which is itself very authoritarian can sometimes use uh, weaponized norms yes. um, to uh, straitjacket uh, these movements yes that's that's absolutely true and in some cases it's, it's 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 whipping back against them i mean it's telling that in the case of bolivia um, the government that overthrew or overturned Evo Morales that, that replaced him, um, uh, the woman who now who, who who then replaced him is now facing charges. Uh, and, and in her case, it's it's corruption, um, and um, and there is not unlike Trump in the United States, there's going to be a wave of charges against Bolsonaro in, in, in Brazil. So in some cases, though, they succeeded in um, in, in ousting um, popular left-wing leaders. Um, the, the very same instruments that they used are now being used against them, uh, uh, which raises the whole question, uh, you know, about constitutional order and, and reform in Latin America, which is now really catching fire. There have been lots of really interesting experiments. I mean, we could talk a lot about the chaos in the region, but there's a lot of really interesting experimentation happening too. And, yeah. and that needs to be flagged. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. No, I, I think that's right. And so I think just to give, again, to stick with the broad overview for just a few more minutes. Um, so if people are talking now about a new sort of pink tide, um, yeah. what are some of the countries that it's happening? Uh, and, and where do we think like, you know, if it's spreading where it could spread uh, uh, next? Well, I, I mean, if you're uh, if you want to be optimistic, um, look at Chile, uh, look at Colombia, look at Brazil. Uh, I, I'm worried, but but I'm optimistic for Brazil. If if you want to be pe pessimistic about Pink Tide 2.0, uh, look at Peru. Uh, um, look at Mexico. I, there there are signs that AMLO is becoming less and less pluralistic, and and uh, and that's concerning. Um, um, so you can you can pick the stories that will confirm your beliefs if you want to go that way. Uh, I personally think that the experiments in Colombia and Chile are, are probably the most interesting um, yeah. and, and, and could be models for progressive experimentation for the region and, 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 and beyond, possibly, including in the United States. Yeah. And I mean, like if Brazil, you know, uh, it's up in the air, but I mean, it does look like there could be a return to uh, Lula. Um, and if that happens, you're going into a situation where I think, is it possibly like 80% of the countries of um, uh, the region will be under like left of center governments, which is kind of like unprecedented. Um, uh, and we're, you know, like we'll change not only the internal dynamics of the region, but like the sort of the way they relate to each other and the way they relate to the United States. So, so this is like, yeah, it's definitely, you know, like obviously as in any historical event, there's like, you know, complexities and nuances, but this is a very novel situation. So I, I wanted to return to um, 
two of the things that you we had sort of flagged before um, as real kind of like uh, issues or dilemmas, and but also opportunities. Uh, and uh, the one that we mentioned is um, uh, the real, uh, nationalization of extractive industries um, yeah. and the uh, uh, the way that the governments of the first pink um, tide. Uh, did that and some of the problems they ran into when, you know, say oil prices went down, uh, these yep. are the petro states and like, you know, if oil prices are high, you can use the money to give all sorts of benefits to your constituents. And um, uh, if they, if they go low, then you're kind of in trouble. So, and, and it seems to me um, those issues are still there and, but they, then they're complicated by um, these environmental issues that uh, are also part of the pink tide. Um, yeah. And that there is a kind of, you know, there's a tension or there's a, a dilemma that these movements have to do uh, where they're both reliant on existing extractive, extractive industries uh, to finance state um, uh, activities, but they also want to invest in, you know, uh, a green turn and making the economies more green. But uh, do you want to talk a little bit about that? Like, what are some of the issues here? Sure. I mean, I mean, I, uh, I, I think in general, uh, one of the drifts of this new tide, and it comes back to the question of what's the what's the economic model, um, one that's both uh, advances growth, but but is premised on uh, social inclusion, um, much more explicitly than than the earlier reformist efforts of the you know, say Pink Tide 1.0. Um, which worried a little bit less about the growth uh, objectives. There's now the progressives have learned that, that that you have to have growth, but with inclusion and, as you say, sustainability. The environmental agenda was not a very strong one um, in the first round, with 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 a few exceptions. Um, it's now extremely strong. I mean, just the number of environmentalists who've been elected to the Constituent Assembly in Chile, um, the role that environmentalism played in the election of Petro in, in, in Colombia just recently, including his running mate, um, that is really uh, key. And so almost thinking about extractive industries, not so much as belonging to the state, as being the patrimony of communities, which is a very different language for the left um, than traditionally it was very associated with nationalism. Um, so I, I'm, uh, uh, you know, other than oil, I don't think, and in the case of oil, even there, Petro is arguing not for uh, quote unquote nationalizing the industry so much as downsizing the, Colombia's reliance on fossil fuel extraction. Though, let's put in, 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 in brackets, just to remind ourselves, it is by far and away the single largest source of foreign exchange for Colombia. This is going to be a very tough transition for, for, for Petro. So rather than think about nationalizing and creating state entities in the Mexican and Venezuelan tradition, here is really about a process of uncoupling from fossil fuels and, and creating a more sustainable model of economic growth based on other kinds of commodities. That's, I think, the push. There are other areas of extractive industries like forestry and, and, and mining in Peru uh, that have entangled themselves with what might be called conceptions of post-liberal citizenship, often associated but not exclusively with indigenous movements where um, you know, minerals and, and forestry products are located in lands and territories that are populated by uh, by indigenous people 
who have been gathering in strength in the last 20, 30 uh, years and are now finding this a moment to uh, not just to talk about political sovereignty and representation, but actual control of, of, of resources and commitment to uh, say environmentally sustainable model of economic growth. Uh, so a lot of that is what's now on the table. And that's from a left-wing traditional kind of Marxistoid nationalist trajectory. These are quite new shifts. They've been coming for a while, um, but we're really seeing them gain traction. Yeah, no, and no, that, I, that's like um, uh, both fascinating in itself, and I think it really distinguishes the sort of pink tide from uh, uh, other uh, left-wing movements uh, in other parts of the world. Um, and I think I think part of that uh, tied with them, um, uh, uh, the sort of robustness of indigenous movements and the new new uh, new robustness of environmental concerns is the way to entrench some of these issues in um, not just through like laws, but through constitutions. And right. uh, it seems like the whole region is kind of like ablaze with like attempts at constitutional reform. And there's a kind of, you know, audacious constitutional imagination um, that is there. Uh, and and I, one can, you know, uh, you know, I don't want to make this like a North versus South thing, but there is one can contrast like the sort of, you know, more limited and sort of impoverished constitutional imagination um, uh, in Canada and the United States with the South. I mean, like in the United States, like as we we're recording now on the day in which um, uh, the Supreme Court has overturned Roe v. Wade and Casey. And so there's no longer a constitutional right to abortion. Um, um, and this is happening uh, and so now, you know, like there's a big debate about how do you, uh, uh, what measures can be taken to uh, preserve that um, legally and how to uh, maybe uh, reform the, uh, the courts. But, you know, like this is happening at the same time in um, uh, the countries of the pink tide, there's a, a feminist movements who are like trying to entrench the constitutional right to abortion in constitutions um, as uh, not just like a, a, a basic right, but as a, as a public good. So, you know, this is, this is part of what citizenship means. Uh, and and uh, not, not just as a negative, the state can't do this, but no, this is actually, you know, a prerequisite for equality. Uh, and one sees that like in other sort of, you know, very audacious constitutional uh, pushes um, with, um, uh, I believe it's, is it, you might correct me if I'm wrong, but is it in Chile where they're talking about, you know, giving like rights to the land and to trees, like, you know, like to have, um, uh, to entrench the environmental rights um, in, uh, 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 in the environment itself. Um, so uh, you want to like talk about that? Like, where is this this kind of like push coming from, and um, uh, well, well, why is it that you know this region is much more open to thinking big on constitutional issues? Well, I think uh, I would just say two general things. Uh, one, uh, it's 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 important to underscore the fact that th there was a long tradition of. With again, with a few important exceptions, Colombia being one of them, but uh, of uh, military rule through, uh, you know, depends on the country, the 60s, 70s, and 80s, um, and there was an effort to rebuild um, political systems um, to guard against the return of martial rule, but the emphasis was often on 
um, formalizing democracy and, and for good reason. Um, but the model of economic growth that developed on the heels of that first wave of constitutional reform, and the case of Chile was a very interesting, uh, uh, well, I, I, we can go into the rabbit holes of, of, of Chilean history if you want, but it was the one authoritarian leftover because there the constitution had been designed by Pinochet uh, in a sense, to provide more continuity from the military rule into civilian rule. But on the whole, uh, these systems were committed to, um, uh, uh, to, to maintaining a certain order, but the economic system that got built in their wake was uh, very unequal and highly exclusionary. And so part of the pink tide reaction is how to use constitutional regimes that would safeguard uh, a commitment to social and economic inclusion. So that was one of the driving impulses. Uh, and the other was that the, the traditional language of citizenship uh, for lots of people um, was, was declining in appeal. Um, and so for indigenous uh, folks, uh, community organizers who had already a notion of social and cultural rights that transcended the more uh, sort of the narrower definitions of liberal pol political rights. Um, this new break provided an opportunity. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply to reboot, to re-legitimize uh, these civilian regimes after 20, 30 years of, of experimentation um, and, and, and fragmentation. So what you're seeing now is a push to, to, to think of the constitution as and, and, and the, the institutions of the state um, to make them more uh, amenable to, let's say, redistributionist, recognitional, and even in the case of, 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 of resource management, pre-distributional politics, right? And that's what's very new now. I just, uh, I, I just want to uh, ask uh, uh, Jeremy for a comment uh, in, in, the, in the context of this, uh, their environmental agenda in, in Chile is tied to the development, and this is getting in the weeds a bit, but tied to the development of lithium. Uh, which is, you know, environmentally clean and, you know, an important part of, uh, uh, you know, developing energy sources uh, for cars and electric cars and that kind of thing. And they just signed a deal with China for 100, I think it's, it's not a huge amount of money. It's like 120 million bucks uh, to, to just start the business of uh, uh, looking for where this stuff is and, and then extracting it. Um, the, 
now, so you've got that part of it. And, that, and the other part of it is that indigenous folks in, in, in Chile almost immediately are saying Boric isn't doing enough, right? Uh, he got into trouble with, with uh, in, in the southern part of the country and Mapuche. Uh, is, that, is that an area of, of Chile? Is that, or is that the name of the indigenous group? That that's, that's the name of the indigenous group that is uh, heavily represented and populated in the southern part of the country. So, so, okay. And so he, there was some kind of violent uh, confrontation between the military or quasi-military uh, types on a, some sort of quasi-state visit by a minister to the, to the southern part of the, the country. And it blew up and, the, and there's a good deal of mistrust on both sides. But it, it did strike me that, my goodness, I mean, if, if, if Chile could just get enough time, you know, to, to see this through and start to derive some of the, the, the revenue that's gonna pour in from the development of this, uh, of this lithium, Again, you know, and you would imagine with some kind of environmental consciousness under undergirding that, uh, that Chile could be a fantastic success. Um, but again, the problem, as with all politics, is uh, is he going to get enough time? Because his numbers are are are, are dropping precipitously, and and this is this is, this is being taken note of by uh, Americans on the right who are you know equally guffawed about what's happened in in, in Colombia. So I just in general, I'd like to get your 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 take on that. Yeah, it's just it, it's an old problem in 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 Latin America, you know, about the again it has to do with this pendular swing from more conservative oriented to more progressive redistributionist efforts, and that the um, the eagerness to see the results uh, quickly often exceeds the ability uh, for governments to deliver on them. This is going to be a challenge. This is going to be a challenge for Petro. And in fact, I would say in Colombia, the big dilemma now is this alarmism on the right. Um, uh, I think exaggerated and high expectations on the part of the left, which are also potentially exaggerated. And that's going to be the, let's say the gauntlet that Petro is going to have to have to run. Um, and, and, and it's, it's a, it's a, it's a classic dilemma, um, uh, that you defer the reforms, you start to implement them. People have very high expectations of what they're going to deliver, but by definition, it takes a lot of time for them to deliver the results. And this particular case of the extractive energy is to come to the critical minerals. And it's, it's not just lithium, it's cobalt, it's copper, it's nickel, it's rare earth minerals, all of which are key to the new green cap form of, of, of global interdependence. Um, and, and Latin America is an important repository for many of these. Um, uh, those are going to require significant investments and a new model of partnership with the private sector. Um, uh, the idea of state-led economic development is, is not something that um, I would say practical progressives are going, <laughs> going to want to embrace. Uh, and that's going to be a challenge, how to rebuild coalitions that work with, with grassroots participation in the co-management of these resources, uh, which is one of the reasons why uh, why the Chilean experiment is is is, is so illuminating, uh, and one hopes that when you know this situation, if ever gets sorted out in Peru, that's another potential case because of the importance of the mining sector there. Uh, so I would keep my eyes on th those kinds of negotiations as models for a, a progressive co-governance of of these uh, of these natural resources. 
Can so, I just ask one, one quick question on the margin there with regards to Colombia, which as you pointed out has been subject of uh, 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 hysteria on the right in the United States. Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida in the last couple of days got up and said it's a disaster because he said neo, uh, you know, former terrorist and a Marxist uh, uh, pushing all the buttons that he could possibly push. But in Colombia itself, is the land reform that Petro is uh, sort of suggesting, is that part of the uh, solution to the economic problem or creating the economic model that will generate sufficient uh, 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 prosperity to, to, to buy him some time? Uh, possibly, uh, possibly. I, I, I mean, we, we have yet to really see details on the program. He's still assembling his team. Um, it's worth saying though, that Colombia has a long, long history of promises and commitments to agrarian reform dating back to the 1950s, 1960s. It never delivers on the problems. Um, and, and there are various reasons why that's the case. Uh, so I would be very, uh, I, I would, though it's critical to his program, I would um, contain expectations about what agrarian reform is going to deliver. It's clearly going to have to be a part of a much wider set of, let's say, pre-distributional politics. Um, land being one, uh, but it is, it's not the silver bullet that, and I think it's one of the things we're finding about the research on agrarian reform in Latin America. Everybody thought, well, if you could break the land, the grip of the land owning feudal elites, that would just unleash all the, the, the potential uh, in Latin America. It, it, things did not work out that way. Uh, and, and I would not expect it to be the silver bullet um, uh, 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 this time around, it's not going to be any different. Uh, though, and this is where it is important for thinking about the new commodity bundle that will anchor uh, the model of economic growth that would replace uh, basically um, uh, coca on the one hand and oil on the other. Is 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 that Colombia has really been boxed into a model of uh, let's say extractive and agro export. Um, that's either promoted um, illegal uh, trade and that's the, in, in narco and maybe we should spend a little time talking about that problem for Petro um, or, or, or oil. Um, and, and he clearly wants to move away from that model. And I think he's absolutely right to, but it has to be done in an equitable, inclusive way. And that's gonna be the challenge. So, so did you want to expand on what you were saying about the, the uh, uh, narco and like uh, what's what's other problems you might face? Uh, uh, I, I guess like from trying to move away from that. Yeah. So, I mean, he 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 has a multiple challenge. It is ironic, you know, as Doug mentioned that that that. Um, you know that Ron DeSantis uh, immediately uh, rolled out the 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 cliches of uh, left wing narco, uh, guerrilla terrorist. I mean, you uh, the list of of, uh, of images of what Petro uh, represented in Ron DeSantis's mind. Uh, uh, I think e even the hysterics in Colombia would have a hard time kind of recognizing, uh, though there is a lot of hysteria. Uh, uh, look, I, I, so there, there, one is it's important to recognize the tradition out of which Petro comes from, um, which is not the same as the Peronist tradition, which is not the same as 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 the sort of socialist student movement oriented movement that Boric comes from in the case of, of, of Chile. 
but he comes out of, um, he, he, he is a former member of the M19 movement, which was itself a, a left-wing nationalist uh, movement in response to, um, in response to a, uh, a, an agreement from the 1960s to patch up the differences between the traditional political parties, the liberals and conservatives, and to try to bust out of this bipartisan uh, lock on Colombian politics uh, with, um, uh, with a third party populist nationalist alliance called ANAPO. Uh, and the election that was, many would say, had brought Anapo to power in 1970 uh, was, was squelched fraudulently. And one group of the Anapo movement decided to, to pick up arms and, and, and to create an urban-based, often student-affiliated uh, uh, guerrilla movement. Um, never particularly effective in the field, much more better known for some of its spectacular politics like stealing Simon Bolivar's sword and things like that. Uh, and then became the centerpiece of, 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 of peace talks in the 1980s. Um, and maybe we should talk about the question of the guerrilla in a, in a second, um, culminating in peace accords in 1990. And then, and this comes back to your point sheet, a, 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 a whole move towards the first round of constitutional experimentation in, in Colombia, right? Which was coupled to that peace accord. So Petro comes out of that. He then became a congressman. He was the mayor of Bogota, actually not a bad mayor, all things uh, considered. He's a recognized entity. He is, for the most part, much more part of the political establishment than Ron DeSantis is, um, uh, uh, would possibly uh, allow for. So it's very important to see him in that light. It's kind of the inclusion of this political movement had grown out of the 1960s. He was a teenager when he joined it. And now it's kind of fold. It's been folding in for over 20 years now. He's been involved in mainstream politics. Right? So in some senses, he's not a threat that the Ron DeSantis's of the world want to make him out to be. But he does have a problem, which is, uh, 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 is facing many challenges, but it comes to Jeet's question about, about um, uh, the narco um, move is that in trying to tilt the Colombian economy away from its reliance on, on, on coca production and, and trading, he is going to have to confront um, drug lords of various sorts. And they have been, um, it's an old story, we can, again, unpack it more if you want, but um, uh, they're very powerful militarily. Um, they essentially are a form of para-state organization that rule de facto over large swaths of the Colombian territory, especially now in the North. Um, and so you can have social inclusion uh, in, in, in areas of indigenous people and where these uh, kind of newer extractive economies are being based, but how are you going to uh, integrate uh, those territories that are run by drug lords uh, is going to be a, a challenge he's got to, got to face. The problem uh, of armed violence in Colombia is not from the left. Um, mm -hmm. Much as Ron DeSantis would like us to get worried about it, it, it comes from the right. And will the right-wing pol mainstream political parties uh, forge an unholy alliance with uh, the narco um, parastate organizations? That's something I am very concerned with, in which case you have an escalation of armed conflict um, that Petro is going to have a hard time containing.
Yeah, I don't know. I, 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 I'm really glad to, uh, you laid it out like that because I, I think that brings a great deal of clarity. Um, and, uh, you know, I mean, I don't want to spend so much time on the American response, although obviously, like, you know, American intervention uh, at, in the Southern Hemisphere is, is uh, you know, it's not something that can be discounted. It's a big part of history. Um, and along that line, like, I am very, um, I have noticed, like, there's been a certain number of um, American sort of, I think, propaganda uh, uh, products of popular culture. Uh, I'm thinking of two Amazon shows. Um, one is called uh, Reacher, uh, and uh, the other is uh, Jack Ryan, based on the Tom Clancy novel. The Reacher is uh, 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 based on these Lee Smith novels that are also very popular. But in both these Amazon productions, um, the major enemies were sort of Venezuelan socialist um, drug criminals. Uh, and uh, now I know in the case of the um, the uh, the Jack Ryan show in particular, I think it's been uh, uh, well reported that the uh, CIA is one of these shows that got um, uh, assistance helps from the Pentagon and the CIA, and the CIA helped oversee the script. Uh, and so it's like you know, I, and I don't think this is necessarily stuff. I'm sure neither of you have watched these shows, and <laughs> I don't know if it's necessarily something that <laughs> you're has outing started. yourself here. Uh, <laughs> wide resonance in American culture, but I th I think it is interesting that like you know parts of the American state are uh, do seem to be wanting to you know create a propaganda um, uh, you know like uh, to conflate. Uh, the drug issue with like left-wing movements and to like, you know, in particular, like uh, uh, establish Venezuela as like a major foe of the United States. I think in the Reacher show, like basically Venezuelan uh, uh, leaders were shown as being responsible for all the counterfeiting in the United States. So which I, I think it's just like, seems like, uh, I, I don't know if that has any basis in reality or what or not, but it seems like fantastical to me. Uh, so, 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 I mean, like, Am I right in thinking that there might be like, you know, like that there's at least an appetite, you know, coupled with the DeSantis comments, you know, for, for elements in the United States to like, kind of like, you know, um, uh, try to roll back these movements and to try to at least. I, I, I'd say it's, it's, it's there, no doubt. Um, I would question how influential it, it really is. Yeah. Just as my friends on the left in Latin America like to hyperventilate about the CIA and the power of American empire, uh, even if it's impotent. Uh, I think the same goes on the other side. And, and um, though, uh, and it gets back to Doug's point. I mean, I think at the margins, interventions and, and uh, sort of voices like Ron DeSantis's can fuel, for instance, um, this new mess alliance between uh, certain uh, sectors of what used to be the conservative party in Colombia with uh, paramilitaries. And, and, and that would concern me again, but I, I think it's at the margins that these things make differences and it can have devastating effects. But I think as conspiracies or movements, the Venezuelan state can't even take care of its own people, never mind forge plausible dollars. So I, 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 I I think this is there's a lot of bogeying going on 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 all sides, and that the real politics is happening elsewhere. And ironically, in spite of and the fact that we're in the middle of this progressive turn, as you reminded us, G, that 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 you know, if Brazil 
re-elects Lula to power, the vast majority of Latin American countries will be aligned on the left. I, I'll put this out there. Why not? Um, never has Latin America had more uh, autonomy in the global stage than it has now. Um, the American empire is weak. Uh, global demand, especially out of Asia, for uh, what Latin America has to export is powerful. Uh, and you can feel the presence of Chinese and, and, and Indian investment in Latin America for the last 15, 20 years. Um, I was just in El Salvador and they're building a new national library. The Chinese uh, government uh, is building a new national library and archive for geeky historians like me to, to, uh, uh, to use. Um, so this is really uh, at, at very seldom has the left had so much room uh, to maneuver because the, of the weakness of the American state and the polycentrism of the world economy. My big concern is, you know, can they get the economic model um, uh, uh, to work that would buoy and, and support Boy, boy, as in a B U O Y, uh, uh, I support a, a, a social alliance um, um, that would stick through even hard times um, when when things are not going so well. So, um, and that's going to be the test, and that's really up to 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 local coalitions, local governments, uh, some patience in the case of you know as, as as Doug alluded to, and I would not expect. The United Washington to play a particularly um, important role in that, to be quite honest. Yeah, no, I, I do think, and this is perhaps something we can return to in a future conversation. Uh, you know, maybe one of the preconditions uh, of both pink tides has been the sort of you know receding of American global power uh, and the fact that the United States seems to have been caught up in other. Uh, businesses, both in um, you know the Middle East and now in Asia, uh, and in some so so so. Um, but I, I think that uh, uh, the you know the emergence of Latin America as a kind of you know um, more autonomous uh, player on the global stage uh, is very exciting for all sorts of reasons and uh, something we can um, uh, I hope to revisit in a future episode. But I, I want to thank uh, Jeremy and Doug for the uh, the conversation. I. I think we covered a lot of ground. Super. Thanks a million. As always, Jeet, I learned more through the course of this than I knew at the beginning. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.